0: Amen. And to come, whether it's a place like this, this church, or anywhere where the Word of God is taught, it's a little scary. Because you're going to hear the Word of God when you go to a place where it's taught, and you're either going to be drawn into deeper discipleship. Watch out. You might hear the Bible and you might feel God calling you to become more committed and as a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just somebody who goes to church and listens to the Bible when it's at church. You better watch out. It's dangerous, it's scary. God might speak to you and you know it, and you're supposed to get closer to Him. And then there's that other option that is way, way scarier, and that is that you become inoculated, that you and I become inoculated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've heard it. I hear it. It goes in this year. I kind of think, yeah, what you know, I got other stuff on my mind. It goes out, and it's like inoculation is where they take a little bit of whatever the disease is, fix it up in some way that Rick doesn't fully understand, but I know that they give you shots of it, in smaller doses, so your body builds up an immunity to it. So, before I get into the study, are you building up an immunity or are you becoming more of a disciple? Because it doesn't look to me like it's time to play games. And guess what? If it was 40, 50 years ago when some people thought America was, everything was wonderful, <laughs> it wasn't a good time to play games then either. And I'm not suggesting or accusing anyone in here of playing games. It's an introduction to a study with a hook. But the hook is the Holy Spirit who wants to make, he said, go into all the world, Jesus said, and make disciples. Disciples. God help us not inoculate each other so that we can hear and hear and hear and it never really touches us or goes deep into our soul. It's not healthy for anybody. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. So, how are we doing considering last week when Bill taught us in a, an extremely powerful way to wait patiently? While we're waiting patiently means we don't look to other things to fill that need. How, how did we do this week? Just these are think about it. Respond to what's true and not to the lies in your head that tell you this is all I am and this is all I can ever be and I can't change. How are you doing on that from last week? To learn to praise the Lord, with uns- to, to allow your spirit to come out through your lips. The way for those of you that go, I, I just am not comfortable praying out loud. You never have to be. He shared about that. But the way to get there is to do it privately. When you're alone, talk out loud to God. It will help you in a whole lot more ways than just being able to talk out loud to God in front of other people. There's a whole lot more to that, but I don't want to do a whole study on that. We're in Psalm 41, and David is continuing to pray. And I'm going to just, through a prayer of a psalm and a praise, and I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's 13 verses. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will bless be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. He will sustain him on his sick bed. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Hear my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemy will love me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he will speak lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now he lies down. He will rise no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who I ate bread, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Yeah, David says if you, the person who understands with compassion, considers the poor, God cares about the poor and if we do with him, he's going to deliver you, he says, in the day of trouble. But what does that tell you? Is coming for you. The day of trouble. He not say if the day of trouble comes. You know, uh, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You know that I've never met a person that didn't need mercy. I haven't been Party to any need in their life. I haven't meet meet them, and five minutes later, I go, boy, that guy really needs mercy. Sometimes, but there's no person alive that doesn't need mercy—the mercy of God and mercy from other people. So, if you want people to be merciful to you, ding, 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 ding. David's troubles are well documented in uh, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles and Psalms. God's power to deliver is so real, just as Kate shared with us, through trouble or to stop trouble. But you know, it was, we're all familiar who have been around the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said to the Nebuchadnezzar who was going to throw them in the fire if they didn't bow to his statue, our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing, which means they believed and understood there was an ultimate deliverance the deliverance didn't mean my god has to save me from the fire it meant my god will save me even if i burn in the fire that's that's the bigger god that's the real god and so I, I, again uh David in 4 through 13, as we read after that, he's also, again, falsely attacking him. People are surrounding him, but they're surrounding him on the basis of his own sin that he's acknowledging. I'm so glad that David received what Isaiah 55.3 declares to us, the sure mercies of David. Incline your ear and come to me, here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now, Paul quotes that again, God's promise to David that the Messiah would come through his loins, his uh, generations, and would sit on the throne ruling the, the world, Israel, Everything. The Messiah would come through David. But also, Paul quotes this in Acts 13 when he's in Antioch, Pisidia. Those of you who have been to the other Antioch, it's Pisidia. And uh, and uh, he says, he talks about the sure mercies of David, and he says, God showed this in raising Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, he rose for our justification. There's a lot of reasons Jesus Rose, He couldn't be kept in the grave, but he rose for our justification. And so that's the sure mercies of David you're going to rise too, And sin won't bring you down and destroy you because of the mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ. God was for David. He delivered him. But he delivered him when David's son Absalom rebelled against him. And when his counselor, a trusted counselor, joined Absalom against him, they both betrayed. His son betrayed him, wanted to take the kingdom from him and kill him. And Ahithophel was one of his trusted longtime counselors who rose up to help Absalom. David had erred greatly with both of these men. With Absalom, Absalom's full sister, David had wives and children, so he's got his half-brother Amnon and his full sister Tamar. Amnon rapes her. His half-brother rapes this girl, his sister. David does nothing about it. And that allows bitterness to build in Absalom. He kills his brother, runs away for a season. and When he comes back, he has a plot. He's welcomed back, but it's a plot to kill David and take the kingdom. And Ahithophel, you go, well, what about him? He was this trusted good guy. Yeah, he had a granddaughter. Do you know what her name was? Bathsheba. He's Bathsheba's grandfather. David killed his son-in-law and took Bathsheba as his wife had committed adultery with her. Yes, we're talking about the Bible. If you're new to this, the Bible isn't poetry that just says flowers and trees and birds and sit and om about God's love. It talks about the failure of man, shows the clear picture of humankind by just following the history of people who know better but don't do better because they're stuck in sin and they need help. Does anybody relate to that? Yeah. And, and need mercy. And so, you know, even though God used them to discipline David, their rebellion to David was rebellion against God. Well, wait a minute. You preachers are so nuts. How could that be? If God ordained it, that that's how he would discipline David, not destroy him, but discipline him, how could that be that these guys were in rebellion against God? God did not ordain their rebellion. He didn't ordain their rebellion. He used their rebellion. Love him or hate him, he will use your life to show who he is. Love him or hate him, you'll be a testimony one way or the other. And so they were hating God in their hatred for David. God will use everything for his purpose. That's why the Bible says all things work together for good. Everything that happens isn't good. When people say all things happen for a reason with no explanation, it's like it isn't God made Ben get burned by the fire, by the hot tea. We don't have to try to figure that stuff out. It happened, and God will use it for his glory. Things happen that aren't good, that aren't right, but God is not stopped by those. And if he was, you couldn't trust him for anything, for anything. You'd be hopeless. He He's omniscient. You know, omni is all. And <laughs> Knowing. God is all-knowing. God is, you know, nothing gets by him. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He can't be God and not be these things, and he's omnipotent, all-powerful, which makes him able to take two things that do not fit together. See, you go, well, if he's all-powerful, just clear the path and make everything perfect and get rid of all the garbage in the way. Well, the day is coming. But what God is able to do is take two things in your life, in your life, in your life, in my life, that don't fit together and don't make sense and make it work. He can do that. He can do more than that. David survived the attacks. They did not. Their names are synonymous with betrayal, Absalom and Ahithophel, and a person, who is that person their names are synonymous with? Judas. At the Last Supper, Jesus says in John 13, 18, that one of you will betray me. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So those of you newer in the Old Testament or in the scriptures, it is you're not expected to just know when you read Psalm 41, you're not expected to just know that when it says, even he that bread ate my bread, Jesus at the last supper dipped with Judas the bread into the, the food, the bitter herbs. You know, he that dips with me betrays me. He that lifted up his heel against me my own close friend, you, you wouldn't know that on your own. it's okay. but you have the New Testament that's why I tell people read the New Testament pretty thoroughly while you don't just start in Genesis, read the New Testament and read it a lot and then and work in the Old Testament and you'll see and learn and just spend time in Bible study. It doesn't come in a day, but what we're talking about is incredible prophecy fulfilled by Jesus constantly in the new testament so he who eats bread with me has lifted up his hill against me that would become judas and that's what separates jesus from all of us among a 45 billion zillion trillion quadrillion other things here's what separates jesus from you and me in this regard jesus the greater than david any one of us who had been betrayed in marriage, or business, or by a child, you would have never entered that situation knowingly and willingly. You would have said, and I would have said, no way, Jose, that's J-O-S-E with a little thing. over. There. Wouldn't you? Would you willingly enter into being betrayed? Knowingly? No, not at all. He knowingly and willingly, he's omniscient, he knows all, and he knowingly and willingly dipped with Judas. He took the betrayal and the bitterness of betrayal for each of us. We do this at Passover when we go through the dippings. It's a beautiful thing. You. But he also took your betrayal of other people. Someone might have the back of their hair standing up right now. I, Rick, I'll have you know I've never betrayed anyone. Are you sure? Before I became a Christian, and I became a Christian at 18, I'd already had enough time that I had at least betrayed the trust of one friend. I did things and I undermined and just abused my relationship with that person enough that I wouldn't want to be my friend if I if he had known you know I did I, I was a nice guy but I succumbed to things that would get my way what I wanted and dumped him for other friends you know cuz he wasn't cool at one point and I'm I'm not I'm not bragging about those things and you know after I became a christian never on purpose, that I, I can never. I can say that I never purposely said, I'm going to get that person, you know. But sometimes, you know, there's a sin offering that's for the unintentional sin. That means that sometimes that means that not only you didn't mean to, it means you didn't even know you were sinning until later. Later, and you went, oh, my gosh, what I did back then. I bet you have. I'm looking at you. I'll look at every eyeball here and say, you've done it. Whether you know it or not, you've done it. And I did it. I also got stuck and foolishly and hastily, out of fear of a man, betrayed ret- a trust in a serious way that I regret. I don't live in regret, but I regret it. I'm so thankful for the sure mercies of David that I am forgiven. And every communion reminds me and reminds us that our greatest failure, we can think the greatest failure in our lives. Until you come to that clarity between you and God, you'll probably be kind of stuck because the cross is where we find this deliverance and it's only at the cross that we find this deliverance. Once you've tasted of God's sure mercy, you just want more. If you've really tasted it, really tasted it, really tasted it, you want more. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Psalm 42. Excuse me. Also fairly short. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, When shall I come and appear before you or before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Hey, this isn't David. This is the sons of Korah. He's not the only one that felt this way. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The voice will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And with the breaking of my bones, my enemy reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? <laughs> where is your God? Where is your God now? That's exactly how it's written. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Don't know if I can do this justice in a short time, and I only want to take a short time, but... The sons of Korah uh, they joined David in their in his suffering. And you know when you're really, really, really when a deer or a dog or a cat even or any animal or a human is really, 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 really thirsty, there's only one answer, and it's not Pepsi or kombucha. <laughs> it's water. You know, it's helpful to realize. The desire, well, when you look at this, there's. it's been correctly said, to overcome a destructive desire within you, you need to find a greater passion, a greater desire, not just fight the negative one, but understand the good passion. And, you know, it's helpful to realize the desire for the Lord. Does anybody here desire of the Lord? Do you desire the Lord? that desire did not emanate out of your natural human personhood. The desire for the Lord comes from the Lord. The desire for the Lord comes from the Lord. When you were born again, born of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came into you and created a thirst for God. That comes from God, and the spirit within us is working. Korah's words have implications. He understood something many people don't, but his words he could only dream of. What do you mean, Rick? Because now we are born again. He wasn't. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. He didn't. And Jesus lives in you if you're a believer. It's called regeneration. Here's what science says about regeneration. In biology, regeneration is the process of renewal, restoration, and tissue growth that makes genomes, cells, organisms, and ecosystems resilient to natural fluctuations or events that cause disturbance or damage. Every species is capable of regeneration from bacteria to humans. You know, the basic thing is bringing life back into something that died. Spiritually, Titus 3, 3 through 6, we, for we ourselves, were also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse or various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. Notice it starts to get worse. Hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of what? regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We move from corruption to the new birth to renewal and recreation in God over and over. What's happened initially is being accomplished continuously. Our spirits are made alive to God. And yes, it is one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. Who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Yeah. So, the previous separation, of the subjection to decay and death that we lived in, God has brought us new life. We hear the word of God. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and brings us to repentance, which means changing direction, turning from our sin, turning to God. He brings us to repentance and turning to God. He is alive. And he is alive in me. Now, I can sit with anybody right now, anytime, and they could say, let me declare to you your faults your failings, your arrogance, your stupidity, your sinfulness, your lack of self-control. You're the, and, and I could go, you're right about all those. I really, I really should be way better at everything. Jesus still lives in me. He lives in me. He's not just, he's not just yelling at me or pointing a finger at me, and he's not doing that to you either. we talk about carrying other part of that make sure you understand that's not the same thing only one other spirit can live inside of you and be joined to your spirit in this way the holy spirit and if you're a believer if you believe in Jesus you're either you're alive to God he's living in you so the water that we thirst for is the life that's already in us. Yes, there's the heavenly and the hope and the future, and there's God's throne. All that's true. But he lives in you, and the desire for him is inside of you. He's already in you, giving you thirst for what is in you to be coming out of you. So, John seven thirty-seven through 39, and I... I'll just read it off you of here because I didn't write all the words on my page. On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or inmost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, that's Holy Spirit. Whom, the believe, whom those believing in him would resist, was not yet glorified. Yeah. That's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Does it make, are you getting it? I can hear a pin drop. Korah knew a need for God in his life. God touches and empowers people in the Old Testament. He gives prophetic words to people then that we read about. He was with them. He was guiding them. He would come upon them and even fill them in a certain way at certain moments. Korah knew that. But we experienced fulfillment of this through Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us that even he didn't and David didn't understand. They could not conceive of what was going to happen when Jesus came and said, I have to go, and you're crying, don't go, Jesus, but if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit to live in you. So, this great thing, my soul, thirsting for God. He is what my spirit is craving. He's what your spirit's craving. Your flesh, your human nature is not craving God, okay? Your human nature will never crave God. Your natural state is not a state of loving God and wanting God. Your natural state is I want what I want, and I want, if you have any thought about God in your natural state, it's let him come down here and answer this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, and do this and this and this for me, then get back in your bottle till I need you again. That's your natural state. He's your genie. He doesn't work very well that way. He doesn't spend 6,000 years in a bottle. Crick in the neck, it's a lad. All right, so. <laughs> but your spirit, your spirit knows everything the Bible's telling you. Your spirit actually knows it. We we just haven't learned to listen to our spirits and to allow our spirits in the union we have with God to overwhelm us. We have to we have to fight a battle for it. Paul did, so and we have to learn to trust him and believe him. Your spirit grows in its capacity, or and I don't know how to say it, your 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 inner person grows in being able to cling to and hold on to the Lord and want Him more than you want, and that's what He's doing in your life if you're a believer. If you're not, he's tapping you by that same spirit and saying, I'm making a connection to something inside of you that you know is there, and you have to decide if you're going to say, okay, I want my spirit. So he's what our spirit's craving. If you don't feel it, <laughs> the word declares it. Chorus says, my soul thirst, when shall I come and appear or see God, is often the translation. And he explains what brought him to this thirst for God. In the rest of the chapter, often we, until we have come to frustration in our lives, and I know you don't want to hear this. (laughs) I know you don't want to hear this. I love getting up and telling people things they don't want to hear. It makes you feel powerful. But I'm actually sitting there with you. I don't want to hear this. In the flesh. My flesh doesn't want to hear it. My human nature. But often until we come to such frustration in our lives, such an end of self an end of self-help. Until then, we won't embrace the thirst for God. Notice he says, "I used to go. I used to go with them, because you can go up and down too in this, can't you? I used to go with them to the feast three times a year. Every Jew was required to go, every male Jew to to the temple." To Jerusalem and worship there, and he's talking about those specific things. Can be even other feasts and more times going to the temple, going among the people of God. I used to go, but I stopped. How many people do you know used to go, but they stopped? How about us in some other ways? How many ways could you fill in the blank? I used to. I used to pray earnestly for God's will in my life and seek him for his way to lead me and guide me no matter what the cost. I used to pray that song, my life is yours, my life is yours, take it all. I used to pray that from an earnest heart. I used to. I used to. I used to read the Bible and ask God to open my heart or somebody who knew better or I'd pray about it and keep reading. I I used to. I used to. I used to enjoy fellowship and getting with people and talking about the Lord and encouraging and, And I actually, I used to tell people about my problems so they could pray for me, but not anymore. Used to. But I stopped. Stopped because of many reasons. The big one I would share today before we close is uh, discouragement. Many of you have seen or heard, some of you I should say, have seen or heard about the devil's yard sale. Um, When you say something like this, those of you who are new to all this, this isn't in the Bible, this is like a story time thing. (laughs) Okay, this is a, terrible devil's yard sale satan put out some of his best shiniest wildest items and many demons showed up to find a deal and they were they were all clearly marked and really sparkly and colors and there it was with a clear marking lust hundred dollars resentment four hundred dollars pride six hundred dollars but over in the corner under a tree over on the side of the yard, this broken down kind of wooden-looking thing that looked like it was old and, and had no real value or usefulness had a price tag on it for uh, 2500 bucks. And uh, the, the demons come up to Satan, what is this thing, and why is it so expensive more than all these other uh, tools you have? And he goes, oh, that's because this one flies under the radar, This one, when all those other things, when you can't get people to be angry, you can't get them to chase after lusts and desires, this one will always work. Discouragement. It'll stop them dead in their tracks. They'll just stop. Discouragement. Yeah, in verse 6 he says 6 he says I remember and he talks about the Jordan Valley and the Hermon Heights and Mizar the small hill Bill pointed over at me as they were singing about from the heights of the mountains because we had just I had prayed that in in the prayer time beforehand that no matter where you are, at the heights of high or in the lows of low, if it's a small problem or a big problem, if it's a small blessing, a big blessing, if you're in the Jordan, if you're under these waterfalls, wherever you are in all struggles or good, God is omnipresent. He's with you. And he will be with you in your difficulties when his countenance, which is another way of saying his face, looking into his eyes, seeing his face. There were people who looked right into Jesus' eyes and still hated him and did all that. But when the movies depict Jesus with his eyes and touching people by his face, it's not such a bad thing. That does happen. We don't see the face of Jesus, but he did. He was taken as a slave unfairly prosecuted, he was filled with bitterness, and all he wanted to do was live to kill Masala. The Roman guy that Judah Ben-Hur was childhood friends with who turned on him. If you haven't seen the movie Ben-Hur, 1959, it's all about Jesus. If you've seen it and you go, huh? Go watch it. Go watch it. It's, it won't say it's all about Jesus until you get to Jesus and what happens from there. When he's being pulled as a slave and they're all so thirsty and the Romans are feeding their horses and them and b- barely giving people a drink and, and they don't want him to have a drink. Not him! And to the ground and he says, and I, I didn't remember, I watched it again, this part, and, and he says, God help. And he wasn't like a believer of any, he wasn't even a Jewish believer, he was Jewish, but from Jerusalem, he had been taken down hard from his life, evilly. And he finally says, God help. me. Well, you had already seen over on the side, there was a carpentry shop, they're going through Nazareth. And out comes Jesus, we don't, we can tell it's him by what happens and the feet walking and then the hand and he brings him a drink. And as Judah Ben-Hur starts to drink, he looks up, and he sees Jesus and sees his face. And it wasn't wrong. Just because other people couldn't see, and he didn't glow, and I believe that. He didn't glow. You could just, it was easy just to want to hate Jesus if you wanted to, but he could also, he was Jesus. And if you looked at him, and you actually knew he was Jesus, what that meant? You would look at him and see him for who he is in some way that would blow your mind. Somehow. At least Judah Ben Hur did. So did the centurion, the guard, who said, Hey, I said no water for him. And Jesus turns to him. You don't see Jesus' face. And he goes, Uh, uh, uh <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they depicted that great thought. To turn to God in your difficulty. You know. I will still praise him again and again more and more, who is my help, whether your own bitterness or the bitterness of betrayal against you or any difficulty you have, we have an eternal source, a heavenly source, the real deal, and he also lives within you if you're a believer. And and what Korah teaches us in his example is in his difficulty, he was able to cry out to God and even complain to God. He complained to God, but he didn't turn away. the a difference. And somebody can tell me their story and how God failed them, and they can tell me about how hard it was, and I would cry over how, I have cried many times over how hard somebody's got a journey. That's real. But it doesn't mean God has departed and is not there. And we're sitting here today because millions of people through history suffered those same kind of things that somebody right now will say, and it's not fair, and I'm done with God. But they held on to God, shared his word lived a life of faith in their pain, died in that suffering, and brought the gospel so that you and I could sit here today. I know the Holy Spirit brought it, but he used people, or we wouldn't be here today having a Bible or knowing who Jesus is if people didn't suffer and give up their own life and their dreams and their desires and their I think I deserve betters, they gave him up. They gave him up to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's the big picture. And you can't breathe out of you if you don't get the big picture. You'll get stuck in your telescope. Your view of your own life will be everything. I know that some of you have a life that is really hard, and your pastors can't fix it. We can pray with you, and we can point you in the right direction, so can your friends just as well. But I can also tell you don't stop, don't give up, because it really has to be bigger than you. And, and, you know, I know kids today need a lot of help with the living in a culture that is crazy, that has so many, all these tentacles coming at them, and we talk about it, and it's true. It's all true that it's really a challenging time. You know, David and Cora didn't have the same issues that we talk about today. The one they have is the persecution and the mistreatment and betrayal. There was no transgender issues. <laughs> There was no uh, cultural identities and things. There was in some ways. People try to make it all fit today like it all was exactly the same. The way I think it was all exactly the same is this hasn't changed a bit in human history. And I think you can tell any kid, I can tell any teenager here, any one of you, anybody, anywhere, that the reality is, is that people are going to treat you bad and you're going to get hurt And life can be really hard, and that was the same way it was thousands of years ago. And those are people who lived through those things and decided to serve God as young people. I don't think we should baby young people. Poor baby, what a world you live in. Hey, baby, how about get with it? (laughs) Serve Jesus. Now, I might be wrong, or I may be old. But part of what I said is 100% true. David and Korah had difficulty. Incredible difficulty. And they turned to God, not away from him. Overcoming life's troubles, overcoming emptiness, overcoming dryness. Sometimes we just have to get really thirsty. We just have to get thirsty enough to drink from the well that never runs dry. Would you stand?